race car. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Why you ignorant slut? Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? What's up, man? Uh, not much, you know. It's finally cooling off here in Pennsylvania, which is nice. Yeah, I got the uh, I got the hoodie going. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're doing I did it. earlier this morning, but by the, by the time the afternoon came around, it was a little too warm for the hoodie. But That's I reasonable. got my beanie, you know. Probably yeah. got to start sleeping in that because I don't have much hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> On the really cold nights, I have to wear a beanie to bed. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Well, it's good because then you don't have to worry about bedhead in the morning. It all works out. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <clears throat> uh, we are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit brokenjars.xyz for all of our other shows. And, um, yeah, man. Yeah. I, so... I, I, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I came at a weird time. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. But anyway, um, we are here to talk about the great office, uh, the show, the office, uh, from on NBC. And today we are on season three, episode seven, eight, nine, and 10, which are some big episodes. We're going to hit branch closing and the merger and the convict and Benihana Christmas today. So it's a good uh, good chunk of episodes. I actually rated this a lot higher than I expected to, like mm-hmm. the entire run, but whatever. That's <laughs> We're off to a, a just a dazzling start here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, the branch closing, season three, episode seven, it was written by Michael Schur, Schur? Schur? Schur, Schur, yeah. Schur, and directed by Tucker Gates. So, so Michael Schur is um, Moe's. Oh, okay. So there you go. I knew I recognized the name. He's really big. Like I think he does a lot for um, Brooklyn Nine Nine now on Fox. Oh, okay. I which is a fantastic that. show if you haven't seen it. But he was uh, he was big in Parks and Rec also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I probably recognize the name from the most is, is Parks and Rec. Yeah, got like a multicolored disco thing going on. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I don't know what's happened. Maybe I got to unplug and replug, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so branch closing, like the name suggests, is they've decided to close the Scranton branch. And another thing I didn't realize about this this sec section of episodes is only one of them the normal runtime branch closings a 30 minute total runtime uh the merger is another 30 minute one only the convict is 21 minutes like a normal episode length and then benihana christmas is a double episode so lots of content and this episode opens with just a hilarious cold open where we learned that before jim left screen he stole dwight's uh stationery and so right. he's been faxing him you know stuff from the future from himself and so in this particular episode he says he tells dwight that at eight eight o'clock in the morning someone poison 
poisons the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I um <coughs> especially watching it again the way that you and I are watching it, like really scrutinizing over stuff. Part of me always wondered like couldn't Jim just mm, like make the you know, the note like the top of it like close enough that Dwight would get it? Oh, you because know I assume we're notice. supposed to believe right that Dwight's so anal that he'd be like, that's not my font. You know he's, he's probably done edgy. something very specific in the lettering so he knows whether or not it's a, it's a forgery. Right. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Okay. All right, that's fair. But it's great. And, um, you know, and it's funny to see Stanley, like, put in that spot. He's never the one who's part of, like, shenanigans, you know? Right. Until later with the meatballs. Uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot of foreshadowing in these episodes coming up, but so Jan comes in to fire Michael. Yeah. She's like, look, Michael, I'm, this doesn't give me any great pleasure, but you can tell by looking her face that, oh, she definitely, definitely wants to, uh, to fire Michael yeah, in the she's worst a happy about it. Yeah. yeah. They have this great exchange and Michael's like, on whose authority? The boards. <laughs> <laughs> like, now it's something... That comes up later in the episode, but, um, you know, Michael, for whatever reason, puts it on David Wallace that it was his decision to close it and not the collective decision to close it. So right. I, I thought that was interesting that he just immediately went there. Like, I don't, I don't know if like Jan said something during the conversation that made him think that Wallace was really big on the idea or what. Yeah, I mean, they do have that meeting during Valentine's Day. Um, so right. that's probably one of the higher people that Michael's ever talked to in the company. That's it is weird, though, that um, David Wallace is so involved moving forward as a CFO. Because some of this stuff is like, when you like your COO do it, or. Because you feel like he would just stick with whatever makes sense in terms of the finances. Not that he's some type of super accountant, but. Uh, you know, maybe it's one of those things. I think we talked about this before, where he, since they are in such bad financial straits, he is much more involved than he normally would be, right? Because yeah. of all that stuff, you know, because right. he is the money guy. Yeah, no, it's true. But I, like you said, I mean, he's involved in a lot of these. Like, he's in the deposition later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, he. I mean, it makes sense that he would be at that shareholders meeting because of his high rank or whatever. But yeah, he's he's very involved in everything. So it's kind of odd. But I guess because of the world, that's why Michael kind of is like, tell David. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those things where the CEO is like so detached, he pushes a lot of his own responsibility onto David, you know. That could be too. And that yeah. would make sense with how the company is run and how poorly it's run. That right. you know, the, the people at the top are pushing off the responsibility on other people and aren't really paying attention. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I mean, that's a it's a really great scene though, right? Because so Jan comes in and she says the thing and Michael's like, well, now I have to tell everybody? Like, um, you know, that's bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, well... I know, he's just so dejected, and his default response is like, it's because we dated, right? It's like, don't do this to me because I hurt you. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, totally like, 
I don't know. She can't comprehend why Michael doesn't understand the reality of the situation still. And it's like one of many Jan faces that we'll see when she does that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, it, you know, yeah, he's, she's just very disconnected and she doesn't really have much to console. So she just kind of splits, just kind of walks out mid cry. Right. And one thing I wish they would have done more is explore Josh just a little bit more. Like we know he's supposed to be this really smart dude or whatever that factor. Cause you know, Jane even says, you know, we think he's going to factor in our long-term plans. Right. So there's obviously people who are thinking he'd eventually be a New York executive member kind of thing. Right. And I would like to have known a little bit more about Josh besides the fact that he loves call of duty uh, and bikes to work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair too. Um, well, it also seems a little strange to bank so much on one person in general. Again, maybe signifying Dunder Mifflin's not great managerial choices or whatever. Um, because while I was watching it too, I was asking my girlfriend, I was like, okay, so we bank on Josh or whatever, right? And if we skip ahead a little bit, Josh does the thing that he does and it kind of screws everybody's plan up. Wouldn't it still make more sense to keep um, staff Stanford open and maybe move Michael over there? Because obviously it's not just Josh. It's got to be that whole office is running a little bit better, you know? Right, but I, I think that um, well, one reason you don't close or, yeah, one reason you don't keep it open unless you're just going to move Michael uh, is uh, – crap. So – they still got to make cuts. They still got to fire people and let people go, right? Right. So they, so it's either you still close one or the other, and it would be a lot easier to move people from Stamford to the new location um, instead of re- trying to relocate a boss who may or may not want to and other people. And you know, since there is no captain left of that ship, it's easier just to get rid of the ship. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I mean, because maybe they all work so efficiently only under Josh, right? Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of people come, though, from Stanford. I don't know what half of them do, but... um, I don't know half of them do either. Yeah, Okay. but a lot of them come. (laughs) So, Jan lets it be known that there's going to be uh, severance people and uh, transfer people. And she lets it be known very quickly to Michael that he is a severance person. And Stanley decides he's going to take the severance, period. Mm -hmm. So who else would get transferred? Right. So who would have been saved in the Scranton branch? Obviously Dwight. Yeah. I mean, he's way too good of a salesperson to to not be. Um, I mean, probably most of the sales team. I mean, because um, Phyllis and Stanley, maybe they're not as good as Dwight, but um, like, I mean, at least later on, they pick up the slack, you know, like further down in the season or other seasons later, like they're a pretty crack sales team. Mm-hmm. So they must be doing okay. Right. And you might want them on board to maintain those like relationships because obviously Stanford's going to retain all of those clients from Scranton. But, like, Pam's gone, right? She's oh, just... Yeah. And yeah. I think probably the entire accounting team is gone. Yeah. Maybe I can see them keeping one. 
only because there's more people or there's more money coming to one branch. Um, but like, yeah, they've already made comments about how there's too many people. In the right, we've already we've already established yeah. there's too many accounts. Yeah, see, I don't know if uh, Stanford has a, an HR guy. Uh, I mean, they I, probably have to have one. They based probably on everyone how, does. Yeah. Yeah. So Toby would probably be become. Or they might have moved him. They, I could see them transferring Toby to like corporate and just let him be a corporate level HR. Right. Um, yeah, we could see that too. Creed's gone. Creed's gone. <laughs> Meredith. Meredith's gone. Kelly. Yeah, Kelly's tricky. Yeah. She's probably gone. But she has. I could see them keeping her because she has such a good relationship with all the customers. Right. And since they're bringing over more customers, maybe they need the ad extra body. Right. It's one of those things where they like, they may not be able to do it with one, but they might not need two people. <laughs> you know, they need like 1.5 people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, jumping way, way ahead, but there's this one bit in season four where Brian is saying, what if we fire Kelly and then outsource her job to India. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, which is pretty great. I mean, she seems to be good at her job, though. Right. We haven't gotten to the watermark yet, have we? No, we no, haven't. Not yet, no. Yeah, we see some of that in, in that episode. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, well... I guess it didn't matter. The warehouse got bought out by Bob Vance, so maybe that's right, just. So I wondered, was... like, did they have to rebuy it, or like, how did that contract situation go? Or right. did, or did he, was he just going to um, to buy it, and then when Dunder Mifflin didn't pull out, he didn't. You know, maybe he said he was going to, but then he didn't. I don't know. Well, it's weird too, right? Because the office park, or at least that specific building, is owned by Beekman Properties. Mm-hmm. So is that something that Bob has the right to do? I mean, I guess maybe, right? Because if... Because Dunder Mifflin would have to buy out of that whatever their lease is regardless, right? Probably. Right, yeah. Yeah, so then obviously they'd want to sell it as quickly as possible and if Bob Vance is going to do it. I wonder if there's another warehouse. There must be another warehouse, though. There must be. Or more, like more space or something. Yeah. So maybe he's just growing because he's got those two guys that show up in later seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he must have a warehouse to sell some fridges. I know in my my old office building there were two warehouses where I worked, so we had one warehouse and there was a big wall and it separated the other one. It's like huge waste of space, right? Because like the eighty percent of the people inhabit like the smaller of the space, but you need all that room for shit. Right. <laughs> And then, you know, the episode kind of goes into, like, everyone, like, talking about what they're going to do next, right? Yeah. So it's like, Kelly's, like, super sad. Like, Ryan's like, well, first Ryan gets his business card. And then he's all like, you know, this is this is good timing for us. And, like, he's just sort of showing his douchiness where he's like, yep, I'm just going to use this to walk away from this relationship. Because right. he just doesn't have the stones to actually dump her. Yeah. Yeah, Kelly's like, oh, I'll kill myself if we have to, like, quit working together and all this stuff. Like, super, like, dramatic peak Kelly. Yeah, yeah I believe she says she is going to kill herself. Um, yes. Romeo, and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet style. Oh, the Claire Danes one? That's exactly right. 
I mean, generally people seem to take it well. I mean, Dwight and Michael freak out and they go do what they do and we'll get there. Pam seems okay about it. Um, you know, she sees it as an opportunity or uh, a push to do something that she probably wouldn't have done on her own, right, to ever leave the job. Well, we find out that she's already in art school at this point. True. And it's yeah. never mentioned again, and then she goes to more art school later. Like, so did she drop out? <laughs> well, because I wonder what, like, is art school just, like, what she's calling it, but it's actually, like, some type of art class at the community center, you know? Because, um, like you said, eventually she actually ends up going to college for art, which is a little different. So maybe these are less formal classes. It is screen. <laughs> yeah. No disrespect, screen. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see. And so, you know, then, yeah. then Stanford finds out, and everybody, your Andy's being, you know, the tool bag that Andy is, and like just giving Jim hell. He's like, "Look, I'm here now." Right. <laughs> you know, the entire episode, Jim's like trying to figure out who's coming, like who's gonna come over. The, this whole bit it's really funny like because you can tell he's worried that pam will come right or maybe he's wanting pam I'm, i don't know i have a hard time because this is right when the whole um karen jen thing like really really gets going you know right so it, it's hard to f- sort of figure out um what's going on there i mean again so this will come up again in the next episode, but do you think Karen and Jim are dating now? Uh, from the sound of it, no. Right. Because of the what? They're at the very end of the episode, Karen's like, "I hope he's into me too." Or maybe like maybe they've right. gone out a few times, but like more like just hanging out at the bar kind of deal, and like maybe they're she's hoping they're going to go the next level. So it's maybe they're in some kind of like. Pre, like they're in they're in a friendationship. Because well, last episode you had said something that you think it's possible that they got a little frisky after um, Diwali. I mean, yes, uh, <clears throat> I do. I do think that could have happened. It's like a head cannon, right? Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're dating. It doesn't mean sure. like they're a couple. Just right because they're they, adults. They're attractive adults, and if they want to put their genitals next to each other, then you know it doesn't have to be a thing, right? <laughs> like I said, they're 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 in a friendationship. I think they're they're right. more than friends, but not quite in a full blown relationship yet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so something I I picked up on. So when Michael and uh, Dwight go to David Wallace's house. Yeah, David Wallace has one of those monogram letter uh, doormats, mm-hmm. but this one has an H on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just like, that was a screw up by the props department. <laughs> you know, I always wondered though if they were at the right house. I mean, it um, looks really similar to the house they go to. Yeah, I tried to compare for that um, the house party or whatever the heck that episode's called, office party, something like that. Cocktails. Cocktails, that's it. Which we'll get um, to here pretty soon, actually. Because um, cause Dwight had never been there. He only had the address to send Christmas cards to. Right. But I could also see Dwight messing that up. And then that also might correlate to why Michael and Dwight don't encounter anybody at that house at all. Um, because it's not the right house, you know? Maybe so. Maybe. Um, 
I know it's a very similar looking house, but the house we see in Cocktails has a circular drive, and this one does not. Yeah, and of course, too. Like, and you know, it's kind of a thing that we do on this show, but it could be, um, like a retcon. Yeah, that was the house that was available then. Different house available later. You know, right? Because once, because after Cocktails, it becomes the same house. Like every time you see Wallace's house, it's the same house. I'm pretty sure. At least it looks the same from the outside. Yeah, I think so too. So, and then you know, Pam or not Pam, Jan comes in to Stanford and is like, "Look, Jim, we want you to be number two. Josh, you're going to be promoted to head of Northeastern Sales." And so she right. keeps going on, and it's like, "I'm going to stop you right there. I just, uh, you know, took this job with Staples." So, I mean, it's sort of a douchey thing to do. But, you know what, I've definitely, like, had to, like, you know, work two companies against each other for a bigger raise kind of thing. So, (laughs) I mean, it's part of business, but it is also a douchey thing to do. Like, I don't know. I'm conflicted with how I feel about it. But but Jim has this really nice quote about, like, you know, say what you want to about Michael Scott. He would never do that. And I thought that was a really good quote. It's something that, you know, the people of Dunder Mifflin just never really understood about Michael. For all of his flaws and weirdness, he was insanely loyal. Yeah, because again, during deposition, Michael has that phrase where he says something like, you expect your company to screw you over. But not your girlfriend. Yeah, but not your girlfriend. Um, So in that regard, and I think that's that's an accurate statement too, in that, um, you know, in the end of the day, Josh probably does have to look out for himself, especially if he does see the declining, you know, success of Dunder Mifflin as a whole. Um, and if he waits any longer, he might not get whatever larger offer he was getting from Staples, you know? Right. And that's, that's another hard part about it is, is like, look, if you're, if you're a smart person, you knew what was happening at Dunder Mifflin and it was time to go. Right. That's one reason I left one company I was with is because I could, I could see the handwriting on the wall, and I wasn't nearly as high as Josh was. So I was like, I'm out. Yeah, that's true. And um, but it's interesting too because what does Michael really get for being loyal this whole time? Oh, you know, he gets screwed over. Yeah, I mean, he meets Holly, I guess, moving forward. But that's not because of the job. That's just situational. Because debatably, never, maybe he never would have loved Scranton anyways, right? Right. Well, and we also find out that they're not really good about giving him raises because he never asked for them. And, right, right. You know, he barely makes more than Daryl. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> you know, so obviously the company knows and they take advantage of Michael pretty pretty heavily. Right. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a great scene in there where they decide they're going to like practice for when David comes home mm-hmm. and, and Dwight just starts making all the perfect points about why they would be shutting down the screen. Yeah. Like Dwight knows what's going on. He's not like you, you see his managerial chops a little bit there. Well, that's kind of crazy too, though, is because um, Dwight is also a company man, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's interesting that he has that like knowledge, but maybe it's like a denial thing. Like he knows it, but no way Dunder Mifflin would ever go out of business. Maybe he's just won't like he's gonna ride out for as long as possible. Then then he'll change, you know. Yeah, could be something like that. 
That could be two. Um, let me see. What else? So, so there's an interesting thing about how um, Jim is supposed to be the number two in Scream, right? Yes. But that it kind of disappears by like some at some point he's not really seen as the number two anymore. And it was before Saber and all that stuff happened. So it's a really and it because yeah, because it was a bit like during um, the Charles Prince time, right? Right, right. Where and he's like, um, you know, I'm the assistant regional manager. Charles Prince, Charles Minor. Charles Minor, yes. You're thinking Prince Prince Paper. Charles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, it makes it sound like it's a made-up position, but it's not. He was awarded that position by Jan. Right. You know, so it's just kind of weird that it just kind of disappears on, on it over time. Well, he does a real – and, you know, now we're talking seasons ahead. But for whatever reason, I guess Charles makes Jim nervous, but he does like a real crap job describing like why he's number two. Because yeah. he says, like, he goes unnecessarily into the fact that it was a made-up position for Dwight, like, four years before. Um, yeah, Jim was not great around Charles. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of really good, like, side storylines this episode where, like, Meredith is trying to find the person she made the deal with uh, so she can, you know, get laid that night. Yeah. Kelly's going around asking for signatures, on like, on her corporate directory. <laughs> Like, like a yearbook. yearbook, yeah. <laughs> and then Creed just starts like eBaying everything. <laughs> at the end, at the end of the episode, they're like, "All right, Creed's buying shots." Yeah, right. So I just want to know what happened, like when they show up the next day and they're not, you know, gone. Like, <laughs> where's yeah. the? Well, that's the other thing too, because Jan says they're shutting down the branch, but it's not like they're shutting it down that instant. You know, there's going to be two weeks, maybe a month of, like, transitional stuff. I'd be it's shocked like, if it was – I mean, granted, they, they they did Stanford really quick. Like, really quick, they shut that thing down. Right. But in, in reality, it would probably take a hmm, – I my white my company she used to work for, for got bought out. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they had a location here in town – and it was sort of one of those severance transfer kind of deals. Right. I think it took them, um, and Grant's a bigger company in Dunder Mifflin, but it took them like six or eight months to fully transition out of Pittsburgh. Wow. So I don't, I don't know if it'd be possible to shut down <laughs> as quickly as they shut down. Yeah, because I do want to think that there were probably at least a couple of weeks in between branch closing and the merger. Um, and obviously the cold open of the merger i think it's the cold open of the merger i mean we'll get there too but if like everybody packing up in stanford right it was probably still a couple of days before you know um yeah because why would they ever show up the morning of and then come over just to, to screen midday or whatever you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> plus people have to find time to like move and all that jazz so right and it would give jim and karen enough time to become a thing proper but you're right, it was quick. So but so I guess my whole point, roundabout, I've been going on tangents all night, is that Creed selling his shit that night, or that day rather, was going to be bad regardless of if they actually ended up closing or not. Because he would have been sitting there for, by your estimation, eight months with no computer. <laughs> Creed wouldn't have yeah. cared. That's true, yeah. Except for, you know, I couldn't start writing in Creed thoughts. Which would have been tough. 
<laughs> there, there's there's a scene I want to bring up more for another point, but so Phil tries to like get this lunch together, go you know lunch going on, right? Um, and they you know they they go through different things, and Kevin brings up Hooters, mm-hmm. and Angela's like no. But we looked it up, at least today. This not, might not have been true then, but at least as of today, the nearest Hooters to Scranton is in Wayne, New Jersey, which is oh, 109 wow. miles away. <laughs> I pass that Hooters all the time then. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> which, is, which is weird because of how good they tend to be with actual places in Scranton. Right. But, you know, Hooters must have paid them a good amount of money. Yeah, because, I, I mean, that's not the first time it's been referenced because, obviously, Jim and Michael go there. Mm-hmm, season two, and it gets it gets referenced quite a bit, actually. It gets – it might be referenced in every every episode this uh, – or three – I know it's in at least three of the four episodes that Hooters gets referenced. Yeah, right. Yeah, because it's brought up again in Benny on a Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, – with the girl who's doing her, her breast pumping and then he's just like treating her like her own. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Hannah. Uh, um, so this episode to me is really interesting because it really develops how certain people are willing to be stuck. You know, cause like Pam, she's, she's like, Oh, whatever. I'll stay. And Grant, that could have been more for, you know, Jim coming back. But Ryan, as soon as he knows he's not leaving, he just like re accepts being with um Right. With Kelly. And Stanley's like, well, it was a nice dream, you know, while it lasted. And this also foreshadows Toby going to Costa Rica because he's like, you know, he mentions Costa Rica and how he's gonna take the severance, but then he just gets eventually decided he breaks out and just decides to do it. So yeah. Um, I mean, well, I'm sure we all know now, but it's really hard to like look for a job while you've got a job. It's like almost as tiring as going to work. It's you tough, work yeah. you work your eight hours, nine hours, ten hours sometimes, and you got to come home and you got to put in your applications and stuff. And then if you're super lucky, you get an interview and then you got to get time off from your damn job because obviously you can only ever interview during office hours and everybody has the same office hours. It's, so I could see everybody being like, okay, I'll rough it out because finding a new job is terrible. Finding a like, new job does suck. Yeah. But you get fired, then you got all the time in the world <laughs> to do it. <clears throat> yeah. But nobody was like terribly upset except for Michael and Dwight. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was like, whatever. Yeah. You know, and like Phyllis, she's got Bob, you know, and they're already engaged at this point. I believe so. So, yeah. you know, she's, if she loses her job, it's not a big deal. Right. She'll just go, you know, live off of Bob's money. Yeah. So here, here's a question I have for you. Judging from future things, Andy is a terrible salesperson, correct? What you just said is correct, yes. Based on the future stuff, he's supposed to be so a terrible how salesperson. how in the hell did he get transferred? <laughs> like, if anyone... Yeah. And how does he have a title, right? Right, yeah, the director of sales, which I don't yeah. even know if that was the actual title. Maybe he was just making it up. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, all the characters kind of go through this throughout the show. Um, 
but Andy seems more competent at his job earlier on. And then when he comes back after anger management, he becomes closer to the Andy that is there most of the show, which is like that, like, not subservient, but like always looking for approval kind of Andy. And then with that also became his like lack of abilities with his job. Um, so do you although, think not having that anger to fuel him like hurt his job performance? I mean, I could have, but then as I was saying that, I remember it. Um, I think it was Traveling Salesman um, when they all go out Amazing Race style and Andy totally botches the sale between Michael and that guy. Right. Um, so maybe he was terrible the whole time. And maybe he just had a title because he was a senior or something. It could, well, maybe he was the uh, longest tenured person there. Yeah, something like that. And it also could be that he's like, maybe he's better at selling to not Stanford or not Scranton people, you know, like since he's a yuppie and I mean, granted it's probably just a stereotype, but I think the entire state of Connecticut is just yuppies. So, <laughs> so maybe he just had a better clientele there. Yeah. Maybe he's got like better Connecticut sensibilities. <laughs> Connecticut casual. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so there, there's two other questions I want to bring up before we close this episode. Mm. So Phyllis comes up to Pam and says something about, um, I heard Jim's coming back. Yep. Um, so where did she hear this from? Like, we never hear about her having friends over there or in corporate or something, but... Yeah, I agree. Um, another, This is a question I also asked my girlfriend when we were watching it again. Because, um, yeah, she doesn't seem to have any special connections or anything anywhere within the company. Like you said, there's some Bob Van stuff, and he's he's kind of shady. He seems like he could be in some shady dealings, and maybe he has a contact up there. But why would they know this, the specific inner workings of um, Stanford, Dunder Mifflin? I don't know. It seems just like a weird thing. And then, like she quickly gets shooed away. She's like, oh, I'll tell you tomorrow or whatever when Kevin's like, let's go. Right, well, uh, maybe, I mean... It's weird. Maybe she's just got friends we don't know about, you know, like people at corporate she's met before and whatnot. Well, I wonder too, because, I mean, yeah, I wonder if maybe there's a reason for sales reps to call other branches for information. Oh, I'm sure it happens all the time. So if she reached out to them that day while she was working or something, even though it looked like they all weren't working because they were depressed, mm-hmm. um, and then maybe she was gossiping with whoever their receptionist is was, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of clear reasons. And it's just really quick for that information to be shared as fact, right? Right. Because Jim hadn't taken the job yet. If we assume that we are showed information in a linear order, then yes, he had not taken the job yet. Well, he leaves at the end of the day saying, you should take the job to Karen. Right. And this is this leads right into what my other question is. Right. Was that really fair to Karen? You know, it seemed like, me to me, it felt like, uh, and it kind of comes back up in Benny High Christmas, but it felt like he was trying to take her with him because he didn't want to deal with Pam. He was afraid or still angry, and it really didn't feel genuine. 
I wouldn't say it didn't feel genuine. And I think he legitimately cares for Karen while he's with her. And I think they probably would have worked better if they never moved back to Stanford, uh, Scranton. <clears throat> Too many S-towns. Um, yeah, but him being in Scranton is what does, is like wrong. I don't think he knows he's going to do it. Um, I think maybe he also thinks it'll help him. Like he won't be so hung up on it because he'll be with someone he already cares about. But I guess that's kind of what you're talking about. I'm just trying to make him sound a little bit nicer about it. Um, yeah, no, you're probably right. He's probably being a tool bag. <laughs> well, it just seems like it just seems kind of selfish. Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, right. Because obviously he was thinking something throughout the day. And then mm. as he's walking out, he's like, you know what? This is good for me, maybe. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Jim's a jerk. <laughs> he can be at times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what are you going to uh, – well, to sort of close it out, we've got Michael and Dwight. Like Dwight checks his voicemail finally and realizes they're not closed. And there's a great scene like – they're like, yeah, we did, it. we did it, we did it. Michael's like, how did we do it? Yeah, Dwight's like, <laughs> what did we do? Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> so, yeah. what are you gonna rate this episode? Um, I wrote down three point seven out of five already opened Gatorades. <laughs> you know, I thought about giving it higher, but then I didn't. <laughs> I feel okay about that. Three point seven. I mean, that's high. That's pretty high. Yeah. Um, I went with the 3.25 Creed is buying shots. Nice. So we're still, we're still pretty high, yeah. pretty highly ranked episode. Um, so we're coming into episode eight of season three, The Merger, written by Brent Forrester and directed <coughs> by Ken Whittingham. Yeah. The cold open for this episode... Here we go. Um, oh, yeah. So it is the Stanford branch packing up their belongings. Right. Um, everybody has those RIP Stanford yes. things that they made, made all those uh, tasteful hats. Yeah. And then um, it leaves with um, Andy stealing Josh. um, Josh's computer. Yeah. Yeah. He's walking out of there. He's like, Carrie's <laughs> like, isn't that Josh's computer? What? <laughs> It's well, we like already a, start to see Andy because he's like trying to get into like, hey, what, who, yeah. who's this Michael guy? Da 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 da. da. It's like, ah, oh, you're such a douchebag, Andy. Yeah. Um, but it's it's actually a weird cold open because there's also some stuff in Scranton where um, Toby finished some type of race or marathon or something, and uh, Dwight <laughs> says, oh, "I could beat that on a skateboard," <laughs> which is like the dumbest thing. <clears throat> so Pam goes outside with Dwight to time him doing, I don't know how many laps, doesn't really matter because she ends up leaving after revealing that her timer was actually a digital thermometer. So, Right. And that's, that's a pretty big building because he made one, one uh, lap. Yeah. She said, because he's trying to do a mile. Right. And she's like, four more to, or three more to go or four more to go. So it's like, a quarter mile around that building. Right. It's a pretty big building. No, I mean, because it's all shot in one shot, too. And I wondered if they actually had Rain Wilson run around the building 
or if once he's off, like, you know, out of frame, they put him in a golf cart and drive him around and then, like, wait an pro- appropriate amount of time and then make him run by again. Because that's, that, that's tough to oh, run that I much. I should have, like, be funny. timed it. Because, like, it seems like he, if he actually ran around, he was booking it. Like, he's he was, it, right? you know, like a five-minute mile kind of pace, if not. Yeah. I mean, because I don't think he's off screen for, he, do you, do you think he's off screen for a full minute? Because, like, Pam I mean, kind of, like, just do what? Like, maybe just add a minute. Yeah. So, you know, that's. It's a pretty quick pace, so yeah. I, I don't think there's any way he ran around the building. Right. <clears throat> right. That's fair. Sorry, Dwight, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we yeah. do learn that he is uh, as he, his speed is somewhere between a snake and a mongoose. For for reference. <laughs> <laughs> right. Two animals very well known for their long distance running. <laughs> But he's fast, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so Pam comes into the office after Michael kind of does a little bit of a spiel to the camera talking about the merger. Mm-hmm. And um, Pam comes in with two big old grocery bags full of stuff, which is for the welcome party shindig that the Scranton guys will be throwing for the Stanford people. And uh, Pam has one of the old Jacob favorite glints in her eye where she's Mm -hmm. happy, you know. And we know why. She says, you know, it's nice to meet new people. And I can see my friend again. And that's something that makes people happy, right? Yeah. But you can tell, like, I don't know if it was written that way or it was just one of those things she said. But either way, whoever did it, well, I mean, she portrayed it great, but she had this just perfect feeling of, like, She's really excited, but she doesn't want any, anyone to know she's super excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's excited to see that booty. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you. At this point, you're like, "Yep, she wants the the Jim D. That's just all she really wants out of life." Is, is the, is well, the she's Jimmy been sing- D. she's been single for a while, so you know, that's fine. Hey, you never well, know. She might. Is it appropriate? <laughs> well, because it's her first date is with that cartoonist, right? Right. Yeah. That's during the convention, I think. Was that? Yes, 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 yes. It's it's during the convention. Because Michael's like, hey, have fun on your date when they're doing the paper airplane contest. And Jim's got that really weird look in his face. Right. Um, Let's see here. So. I have a note here I cannot figure out. I've, been, I've read it like eight times and I can't figure it out. Uh, I will say there's a... So for this week, I watched the the version on Netflix mm-hmm. of this episode. But I believe on the DVD and I think the original screening, there's some stuff cut out of it. Because I have here, Kevin is given the job of shredding the company documents from Stanford which he relishes. As he demonstrates the power of his shredder from Staples, Kevin gets carried away and accidentally shreds his credit card. And this is all in the beginning of the episode, apparently. So I'm wondering if the first time they aired this episode, they aired it maybe as like a an hour long, considering how many minutes are in it, and they just padded it with commercials if need be. Maybe. Because that is not the next I think I remember that now. 
Because mm-hmm. I haven't seen the non-Netflix ones in a long time. Because I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. that actually did happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tricky, too. I mean, I feel like I should be pulling out the DVDs when we do these, but Netflix is so easy and just it's difficult. Well, and it's why I use a lot of Internet sources as my – it's like, oh, yeah, this did happen. Let me find that clip. <laughs> Well, for me, for me, the Netflix version is Canon's. <laughs> That's fair. If if you want to be B for B with us, watch it on Netflix. <clears throat> um, Man, I'm okay. have to look at that because I actually, I, I acquired the entire run from the Blu-rays, so I'll have to go back and look at the. That's see, fair. See, see if it is actually different. Uh, so. People start filtering in. So we meet Tony. What the, what does Tony do? I don't mm. think it's ever said what Tony does. All we know is that he's fat. He's fat, and um, when chips get stuck in a vending machine, he needs Karen's help. Yes, her he little needs her arms. tiny little arms. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. No, I have no idea. I, I sometimes I try to too, figure out based on where they sit. But he sits in the annex, and the annex is kind of like a random place for people to sit, you know? Maybe he was the HR guy. Or customer service? Maybe he was customer service. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's very patient. That could be. All right, let it be said. He is now, for now, will ever be known as customer service, Tony. That's canon, guys. That's canon. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did find interesting, and I think it's uh, probably was done on purpose, that the first person, because Michael greets everybody except for Karen. Michael's the first person to greet everybody except for Karen first. And then right. Karen and Pam greets Karen first. Right. Then we, we, we get the terrible, terribly racist joke out of Michael. It's like, oh, you look exotic. Was your dad a GI? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you ever saw this. But it was like a year or so ago. Um Rashida Jones was at an award show and um, she was doing some type of red carpet interview or whatever. And the interviewer goes, oh, you look really tan. And then she goes, well, maybe that's because I'm ethnic. But I was like, that's like the I mean, it's ridiculous that something so similar would happen in the real world. That's why it was funny on the show. And then it happens. We're like, oh, my God, crazy white folks. So Um, the, the Internet says that Tony Gardner's position was unknown. So they must have never said it on the show or in any deleted scene. Okay. It's just occupation, unemployed, formerly unknown. So that's great. So uh, Karen says she really likes Pam's sweater. And Pam says that her mom knitted it for her. And my wife wanted everyone to know that if that's true, Pam's mom is a baller knitter because it's a very intricate sweater apparently. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's got very big things happening. Yeah. And interesting enough, I would believe the first lady cast as Pam's mom to be the one to do that. But the Pam's mom who Michael dates, she doesn't seem like she knits anything. It's true. It's true. Then, then Andy shows up and we he's like, you know, I'm going to be the number two here in six weeks by, you know, meet Nate, name repetition personality mirroring and never breaking off a handshake. Yeah. We just, just find out just how 
like at least in the in the beginning because I'll, I'll grant you he does get better mm-hmm. but see and this is sort of my whole thing with andy and how i see it differently than a lot of people do in season nine see i believe in season nine he reverts back to this andy or more similar to this Andy. but yeah yeah no i mean i don't see a reason why andy becomes the andy he is at the end of the show um and i would say he's worse than this andy because this andy is just like annoying but the andy at the end of the show is like intolerable well you know it's one of those things his entire world came crashing down you know whose fault is that jacob The writers. The writers made his world crash down. (laughs) So he starts mimicking Michael. And Ed Helms does it really well, too. Right. Like, Michael says these things, and then he doesn't, like, just automatically repeat them. He, like, rephrases them with the same terminology. So, like, (laughs) oh, he's like, hey, nifty gifties. And then Michael just said it. And then he said so much oh. so that Michael repeats it himself, having forgotten he's the one who introduced the nifty gifty concept. Right. No, <clears throat> I mean, even though I don't like Andy as a character, Ed Helms does a great job as Andy because of he just plays it so well. So I don't, right. I don't want people to think I don't like Ed Helms because I think he's a great actor, but I hate him. <laughs> I hate Andy. What's so funny though is uh, during about the second interaction in front of Pam's desk. If you watch Pam, she gets this look in her eye like she it like clicks that it, what's going on. She's just sitting there like amused, just watching yeah, these yeah. people go back and forth. <clears throat> um, yeah, my girlfriend has said to me before that um, she technically doesn't like anybody on this show. In terms of like, if she worked there, she would hate her coworkers. But that hasn't detracted from her ability to like watch the show because it's still a good show. Um, so like a good parallel is I don't know if you've ever watched Arrested Development. Yeah, but, like, I, I haven't watched the new stuff. I've watched everything else. Yeah, but like so, the first three seasons, um, Jason Bateman's character is like the only good guy, really. Maybe Michael Sarah too, but everybody else in that Blue family is pretty a pretty bad person ultimately. But you watch right. them because it's fine on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what she feels about the office. Like generally, like they're all just a bunch of selfish jerks. Well, really great for a TV show. We, we've talked about before. Life. That's one reason it feels so real because right. they, they they have very real, you know, like very real like mannerisms and such. mannerisms and uh, motivations. That's the word mm-hmm. I was looking for. Very yeah, real yeah. motivations. Even though they're selfish motivations, but that's how the majority of us live our lives. And I know there's someone out there podcasting going, nope. I'm like, no, you're lying to yourself, buddy. <laughs> you're a selfish asshole, most likely. <laughs> Even if you're a nice person, you're probably selfish. Yeah. Um, uh, so then, um, so what, that was Andy. Mm-hmm. We followed meet, by we yeah. meet Martin. Yep. And he comes in with Jim. Yeah. Another question, what did Martin do? So I don't know, but according to the office wikia, he was formerly supplier relations. But I think isn't that what that's also what um, Meredith does. Meredith does, right. Huh. Cuz I don't think they would have let him work back in, in finance. Some type of finance. Yeah. Right. I agree. 
So, yeah. But he's only in, what, two episodes, this one and the next one? That's correct. First appearance, the merger. Last appearance, the convict. Right. Uh, um, and then Jim walks in. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, Pam plays it so well. She just looks so happy. Like, it, it just, Jenna Fisher just does a great job. Like, right. convincing us that she was really happy to see Jim. And what I love is, you know, Jim, he does, he tries, he doesn't want to start messing with Dwight, but instantly starts messing with Dwight. <laughs> meet my, meet my eyeline, Jim. I am. He's like, I am, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, and there's the epic fight between Andy and Dwight about who's number two and all that good stuff. Yeah, I got to say, generally, Andy probably would have got the upper hand, though. I mean, the handshake is really funny. And mm-hmm. I think Andy's surprised by Dwight just jumping right into it as well. But um, Andy's, like, leaning up against stuff, playing with the rubber band ball and the, you know, flinching at Dwight and all that kind of jazz. Like, Dwight doesn't have that kind of at least in this episode, for whatever reason, he doesn't have that like mind game mentality. So I think, um, if, excuse me, it's never happened before. <laughs> um, if Andy kept at it, I think he would have um, made it, would have given Dwight a run for his money, I think. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but Dwight's a better salesperson, so. Right, and Dwight is very much a, you know, my, my record speaks for itself kind of person. Yeah, you know? that's true too, yeah. I mean, it's proven that for the most part, a lot of his scheming is terrible. Right. Except for the duck, which just happens in what, like season eight? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. No, Michael was still there. Um, Six. It was before Saber. So it had to be six. It would have to be six. Hmm. Because it was before Saber showed up. Okay. <clears throat> we, we also learned that Dwight has seen 240 movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a fair amount. It's not a huge amount. I've probably seen more than that. Which I'm probably being judged silently by lots of people out there. Yeah, I mean, maybe, hopefully, that's just where he stopped counting. He's like 240. That sounds impressive. I've watched the rest of these without counting. I think you know Dwight. Yeah. But if we know, like, we see his journals later in the in the uh, the Willy Wonka episode. Yeah. We see his journal. He probably has, like, reviews for every movie he's ever watched. No, that could be true, too. God, I would read the shit out of Dwight movie reviews. Yeah, I bet his – yeah, I don't know what he'd consider favorable because he likes karate and action. But I could also see him criticizing it for whatever reason. He's like, that's impossible. And he also really likes sci-fi stuff too, you know, with his Battlestar Galactica and everything else. So he can he can suspend reality a bit. Yeah, he likes some weird stuff. I mean, I think we talked about it too, like when we first started doing this show. But like, he likes Lord of the Rings. He likes Star Wars. He likes Battlestar Galactica. He does karate. He runs a beet farm. He has a Camaro. Like. Not everything here is lining up with someone who would have, you know, he does laser tag. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, he's all over the place. I mean, but he must make a good amount of money, though, because some of those are expensive hobbies. So 
he's got some of that expendable income. Um, so after all that too, Jim goes to say hi to Toby. And um, <laughs> for whatever weird reason, Toby initiates a pound symbol. And I have to say, I side with Toby here. Jim made that weird. Someone gives you a fist, you give it. it the you give it the knuckles. Someone <laughs> gives you the hand, you high five it. You know, like you don't talk about it. You know, if Toby extended his hand, you don't say, "Oh, we're shaking hands." So Jim Jim's the one that made that awkward, and I feel bad. So Toby sits down defeated. Jim's the jerk. Jim is the jerk there. Jim's the jerk there. We're we're, we're getting into like peak Jim jerkness <clears throat> until season nine. Like he's kind of a dick this season, especially. Well, be, yeah, the entire season, he's pretty much a jerk to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I get it because he was in Stanford, so he probably feels a little bit of a disconnect with the folks back in Scranton and stuff like that. And, you know, he just feels generally uncomfortable somewhat, you know. I mean, he left this job for another job because of Pam. So him being put back in a place where he has to work with her can do it. But, yeah, he's um not nice guy Jim this season. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I know because plot, but as a person, he's already moved. He's already in Stanford. It's a bigger market. He's a sales guy. Sales guys can get jobs without even trying for the most part, especially if they're good. And he's obviously a good salesman. Right. Why not just stay there? New York's 45 minutes away. Yeah. I know. I know. It's true. <laughs> One of my favorite interactions, though, is when he meets Kelly. He's like, hey, what's new? He's like, oh, my God, so-and-so had a baby, and it was so cute. And then she's like, "It's like, well, what's new with you? And she's like, I just told you. Yeah, that's pretty classic, Kelly. Um, yeah, she sucks, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we go into the conference room, or what Michael calls the banquet hall. Yep. And he has to basically stop all of the Scranton people from eating the smoked salmon and drinking the champagne because it's only for the Stanford folks. Um, <clears throat> Jim sits next to Pam, and they have a bit of a chat, but then Karen gives Jim gum. It's very, very risque, if you ask me. <laughs> <clears throat> but then Pam starts to suspect that, you know, not even suspect, honestly. She's just throwing some general shade at Karen, I think, because any woman who's being nice to Jim is up to no good. Well, he still has sort of that, um, you can definitely tell Pam's got some of that territory, like, ownership over Jim right now. Like, she expects things to just go back the way they were and be friends and be flirty and, right. you know, get some and all that. So, <laughs> you know, get some, the usual. <laughs> And then we bring in Lazy Scranton. Yeah, it's classic. Which is a terrible video, but you know, Michael starts rapping about grilled bacon, and so I'm like, "Is that this? Is is that grilled on the Foreman Grill?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that must have been. That's a great point. <laughs> it's something I <clears throat> I uh, did note from a um, sort of a real life point of view. Mm. It would be hard as an office to accept to to bring in this many new people at once because this is what like six new people got martin tony and no hannah. karen andy hannah hannah is that it 
So I think that's about it, yeah. That's what, like a, a 25, 30, 40% increase in the number of people there. And that's a hard transition. Yeah. You know, so I... <clears throat> yeah, it's weird. Um, and I, I could see why Michael would not have been their first choice to do it. Right. Or... Yeah, there you go. Seems much more of like a Josh thing because um, he's kind of personable and whatever. But, well, and it goes moving forward. We see that almost all of those people end up leaving anyways, right? Right. And this is something I uh, I noted later down the road, but we can bring it up now since you brought it up. Like, is Dunder Mifflin just severely overstaffed? Do they do they under overest, underestimate the abilities of their people? So they have all these duplicate people, and that's one reason why they're losing money? That would make sense. Because it's obvious that they can handle all that volume with just, by the end of the season, one extra person. Right, right. So maybe that's why, like, until now, it's really hard for a lot of these people to make good money because there's too many people diluting the pool of clients. Yeah, there's a lot of overhead, right? Right, but also you know the sales guys they they're 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 cannibalizing each other because there's too many of them, right, so maybe that's why only after the branches merge, it seems like the salesmen actually start making some real money, yeah, that's a good point <clears throat> because um is it this season? What season is it where David Wallace has him come in and says, you're the only branch that's doing well? Is it this season? Oh, oh, you mean when he, like, brings him in? Yeah, and they have pasta. They have pasta. No, they're, they're, that's not this season. I think Later? that's in season five, maybe six. It, um, I'm guessing it's season six. Is that what that is? The meeting. Um, no, that's not it. I don't remember, but it's down the road a little ways. I'm pretty sure. Because I'm 95% certain that doesn't happen until after Jan and Michael break up. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can't find it. And yeah, this is making and we have, there, there's, there's, a, there's a sad scene, but a good scene where like Jim gets uh gets water from the vending machine instead of grape soda, and Pam's yeah. just trying like she wants him to play back at her so bad. He's right. she's doing everything can and like he's like oh whatever you know just kind of blowing her off and she just looks so sad <laughs> right um yeah i mean again i get it because he's like in this weird place and in um benny hana chris benny hana christmas we find out that he's kind of trying to like be normal or not normal but less jokey i guess about stuff yeah more professional um, yeah so maybe he's pulling it off poorly hopefully that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> it's, it's just we like to point out things that will get people fired. Hannah just like breast pumping out there in the middle like that, com completely get her fired. Yeah, I mean, 
let me say this. I I support a woman's right to breastfeed where she needs to because it's a real human thing. And I'm not saying they have to go to the bathroom. That's inappropriate. But a break room, something, not in the main office bullpen where new people just come right in through the front door, you know? Yeah, you can't do uh, that. Or yeah. if you do, you know, just cover up a little bit. Just a little. That's it. I mean, she has some ginormous hoo-hahs. <laughs> but that's no excuse, Hannah. Just cover up. Just a bit. Just try. For me and Jacob, please. <laughs> And for HR everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, let's see. That happens. Um, so, Lazy Scram, it's great. Um, I really wish they would have made a full uh, Scranton Witch Project video. Oh, sure. they showed just that little clip of it. <laughs> I think there is a full Lazy Scranton video, though. There is. There is yeah, one. Yeah, it's definitely on the DVD, yeah. Um, so it's great. You should watch it. Everybody should watch it. Listeners. Um, <clears throat> man, both of us are very coffee today, Jacob. Yeah, We're going to get well, sick and that, die. That time of year. Um, series of vignettes. Um, yeah, so the breast pump. That's crazy. Um, Karen asked Michael why. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we missed this great thing. Because, so Dwight is like, you should fire Tony. Like yes, before earlier. he even yeah. comes in, and he gives this long spiel about how you know there was someone who would choose which prisoner of war to kill right away. To sort of you know establish. He's like, I wonder how they chose. I think I would have been good at choosing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's just like just another weird ass puzzle piece to to Dwight because <laughs> he has like this German ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there's a lot of Nazi hints at his background, but it's um, yeah, it's weird. I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know what his ideal America would look like. <laughs> Maybe nothing good. <clears throat> Depends on when you ask him. Yeah, you know, because he does get to the point later to where he's actually like more normal, right? Yeah, especially. In the Tallahassee episodes, he's like, you know, there's shrewd rules. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. Don't respect women. But none of those people ever had to work in corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Michael wants everyone to get on the table. Yes. <clears throat> Which um, is weird. And Tony, you know. Large well, at, dude. On the t- so the purpose, right, is for them to all be equals. And, of course, the best way to do that is to have them super high up um, on a table in front of everybody, making it super awkward and making them feel very separate. Mm-hmm. But everybody's up there but Tony. And Michael's like, Tony, get on up there. And, again, I just don't – like, it's super obvious. We all know Tony's fat, right? So what does Michael think is going to possibly be the outcome to get that dude plus four other people up there? That table's not going to hold. It's not going to hold. I'm surprised it's even holding all those people. Yes, me um, too. It's nuts, but yeah, it doesn't work out. There's a great bit where Dwight and Michael are trying to push him on the table, and Michael says the super appropriate, I'm right in your crack. 
as if that's going to help anybody. <laughs> like that's the optimal place to lift a large dude from. <laughs> He's like, it's fine. I'm right in your crack. <clears throat> so Tony tries to quit. Yeah. And Michael's like, what's wrong? You know, did you not like, did you, did you, what do you think about lazy screens? Like it wasn't funny. Was it supposed to be? Was it supposed to be? He's like, was it Toby? It's like, no, Toby was really helpful. And so we see this a couple times in these next couple episodes about if you if you tell Michael he's not funny or you disparage Dunder Mifflin in any way, he just takes it super duper personally. Right. And he's yeah, like, he does. And he just, you know, so he fires him, which becomes a big mistake because then they have to pay him severance instead of just letting him quit. Right. Um, and again, I get it. He's got to protect his pride and his brand. He is Michael Scott entertainer first, Dunder Mifflin manager second. So, uh, that's not so great, but, um, he devises this scheme to become, no, that's later to become the lunch lady, but we'll get there. Um, he ends up deflating everybody's tires, right? Right. To bring people together. And it's like dead winter, very cold. No tires. Mm-hmm. Um, he claims it's from the Vance refrigeration right. crew as a prank, because they're um, because based on a note that Michael gets, uh, their team is not as bonded, and they will never overcome the um, <laughs> all the whatever it is that they they'll be put through from this prank prankful Vance team. But this is when they, they do start to bond. So it kind of works, even though it made him the bad guy. Right. Yeah. It feels like, you know, we, uh, you know, Bob Vance has a, uh, has an air pump. He'll fill up all our cars. And Karen's like, it's like, oh, uh, you know, Bob Vance, Vance refrigeration. And <laughs> they start. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Because up until this point, too, so there have been some weird run ins, right? Right. Karen felt like she was, um, she had a weird smell under her desk, only to find out that it's, Phyllis's weird old lady perfume that Vans bought her. In Metropolitan Orlando. Yeah. Um, I believe Creed and Martin are having some type of weird face-off in their weird corner of the office as well. Which I also got to say is weird for me to think of that corner as not another office. You know? Right. Because, like, at some point it becomes Daryl's office. No, well, Jim's office first. And first, yeah. <clears throat> um. And, you know, you just get used to seeing that, too. And then I go back and I'm like, what are all these desks in the corner for? Because no one important sits there. Even Creed is sitting right up against that office when he's still there, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's literally Martin's desk is a totally random one. And Martin, you know, gives the the pound yeah. sign to Stanley. Stanley just rolls his eyes out. Doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, so everybody's having some trouble. So this event does start to bring them together. Um, they obviously know Michael did it. Um mm-hmm. Phyllis comes to save the day. Karen reveals that she's learning about things. It's all great. Honky dory. That's when Michael reveals his lunch lady theory (laughs) that um, all the kids have to hate the lunch lady. But by the end of his high school career, his best friend was the lunch lady. His best friend was the lunch lady. Yep. (sighs) Which is very sad. (laughs) Um, So the day's wrapping up. Tony's gone. Everybody else is kind of feeling a bit better about how everything's going. And on their way out, uh, Jim runs into Pam in the parking lot after a brief phone call with Karen, um, solidifying a meetup at Cooper's for a beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's when Jim decides to kind of come up front with um, that he's dating someone. Doesn't reveal who. I thought he, I thought he, I thought it was clear who it was. I think to the viewer. But if I recall the quote, he's like, I just wanted you to know that I'm dating someone. And then Pam goes, that's totally fine. You know, you can do what you want. And in uh, typical Jim fashion, he's like, okay, great. But like kind of sarcastic, not quite angry. But like, it's just, I, I mean, it is weird in general that she gave him permission to do this thing that he's going to do, you know? So everybody's kind of being shady at each other. A lot of shade in this episode. Lots of shade. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think a part of that interaction too was also just like, I don't think she meant it as permission, you know, as more of a, maybe she was trying to play it off as, I didn't expect you to come back for me and get right. me kind of thing. Right. That's kind of how I, I read it. Yeah, that makes sense too. Um, but it's all very weird. Um, Pam says we'll always be friends walks away Jim goes to the car and he's making some classic Jim faces but not at the camera this time uh, and they go their separate ways never to see each other again until, until next episode yeah <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so um, so th- that's a lot in that episode um, a lot of different interactions the two Groups meet for the first time and no one's really getting along and all types of new desks are being populated and filled and the office is very full and booming. Yep. Um, so what would you give this episode, Jacob? Uh, this is a really good episode. I like it a lot. Um, so I gave it a 3.997 out of 5 squids eyes on Creed's computer. That's tough. You know, we didn't bring up that specifically, the squid's eye. <laughs> but I got to say, I mean, listen, I like a naked lady. A lot of people like naked ladies. Totally fine. But I think to have a wallpaper of an awkwardly up-close nipple, regardless of gender <laughs> or quality of, that's just a weird wallpaper. It's <laughs> Creed, man. <laughs> it is Creed. Um, not my first choice of wallpaper, but that's fine. Okay. Uh, so I gave this episode... A 3.2 out of 5 nifty gifties. Nifty gifties. Yeah, it's good. It has a lot going on. Maybe too much. Um, not not that it's hard to keep track. It's still a sitcom, right? Nothing crazy. but Right, but it's also a longer episode. That's true, too. Yeah, I, just, a... I guess I wish that some of these um, characters stick around in general more. Like, like this is a good episode that teases it, but mm-hmm. for the season's over, like you said, only one person is left working in Scranton, so. Oh, yeah. We don't so find out that Karen leaves until first season episode. Four. Season four, yeah. yeah. That's true. Fun run. Okay. So, man, we still got two more episodes left. <laughs> Up next is The Convict. This was written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, which is OG office team right there. Yeah. Proper British folks. And it was directed by Jeffrey Blitz, who on this page does not have a clickable link, which would lead me to believe he hasn't done much, aside from directing this episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not. Actually, he's uh, 11 episodes of The Office. He did The Convict, Negotiation, Chair Model, Business Ethics, Stress Relief, The Banker, Nepotism, Counseling, Search Committee, Gettysburg, and Living the Dream. Oh, wow. 
he is... should definitely have a clickable link here. Then. That's crazy. Which in the dream? Like, I'm really good at knowing all these episodes. <laughs> is that some weird Andy episode at the end? No, it's... Is it the finale? It's it's one of the last episodes. Mm. Um, director, live in the dream is a 2013 episode. Yeah, it's boy uh, becomes regional manager after Andy quits his job. Right. So there's, it's if you take them as full 45 minute episodes, it's the next to next to last, the so third third from the last. So. Gotcha. Yeah, see, that's what I'm wondering, if this is maybe an episode where Andy's at, um, like, the American Idol equivalent or whatever. Uh, there's probably a good, uh, good chance of that. Um, yeah. Right. Yep, 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 yep. <clears throat> All right, back, back to the show. <laughs> so, so, the convict. Uh, this episode starts with some more babiness from Hannah Smotrich Barr. Um, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> what a name, right? <clears throat> um, so she brings the baby in and Michael says, um, may I? And when there's a baby and people are fawning over the baby, one is to assume may I is can I hold the baby? Correct. Not for Michael though, Jacob. For Michael that means crawling under the desk and pretending it's look who's talking now. Um, and everybody leaves <laughs> and he's left alone uh, pretending to be a baby asking for milk <laughs> I'm thirsty yeah so that's how this episode starts which you know is kind of um, kind of calls back to the Hooters episode in season 2 the, the secret oh where yeah where he asks for milk so I don't know, that's just where his brain goes when it comes to boobs boobs and milk yeah, you know, I could say that is not where my brain goes. I I don't believe I was breastfed, so I don't that could be why. But I also think generally as a proper human male, especially a human male with no children, I don't know why milky boobs is is what comes to mind. Okay. Anyways. Hey, there's weird people out there, man. That's true. Um so there's a teleconference call with Jan where um it's revealed that there is a weird like uh, incoming payment from an organization, mm-hmm. um, and they don't know why. I think technically it's a that's generally like a governmental state program kind of or federal program to help you know encourage businesses to hire convicts. So where does that money go? It's is, uh, like, is it considered like profit? It just goes into their annual budget or whatever, and they use yeah, it the same or income? Yeah. So would it probably go... Because it's like branch specific. Right. So what I would guess is that it would help to offset his salary. So they would go in and that, I see. they, that they would basically get a free paycheck or something out of it. Yeah. Or that part, part of his paycheck would be covered by, yeah. by this new money. Okay. Yeah. Because then Jan ultimately reveals that that is because they have hired a convict. Right. Um, and they start wondering who it is. And, and everyone lists everybody. Everyone lists all the new people, and then Kevin's like, "What about Martin?" Yeah. And Michael gets into it. Was like, "You think he's black? He is yeah. black." <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So, um, yeah, 
It's, and that's like kind of Michael's theme for most of the episode, right? Is to like, or at least the first half of it, anyways, is to make sure that people know <laughs> that he's not racist and that they are all racist because not all black people are criminals or whatever weird tangent he goes on. He does that great talking head where he tries to describe a criminal who says, yo, that shizzle, um, <laughs> only to reveal that it is a white lady. A white woman. <laughs> This episode is just fantastic for Michael quotes. Yeah. It is fantastic for Michael quotes. There's so many good ones. Yeah. Um, so and shortly, just, I, oh, yeah. And Mike, we learned Angela's like such a bitch about it. Like She's like, as as a 90-pound female who lets in, sits in a poorly lit, rarely visited section of the office, I am perfectly fine with, you know, with all this. And, of course, Michael doesn't get it. He's like, good. But everybody else does, yeah. Um, So the B storyline here is introduced where Andy gives Jim a call and delivers a very important message. Quote, unquote, I'm horny. So Jim's like, I can't can't help help you with that. (laughs) The question is, is like, why did they're literally like 10 feet from each other? Yeah. Why did he fucking call them? Yeah, it's weird. That's right, because he's sitting at Oscar's desk, right? Yeah, and, you know, we kind of see more Andy-ness because you know, he's like, hey, what about the Indian girl? I think he said Indian girl. Maybe maybe username. But uh, what about her? And Jim's like, she's in a relationship. And he says, and I care because? Like, we just see the pure douchiness there. Yeah. Um and then, you know, he's like, well, what about blondes? They're more fun. And I love Jim's quote. He's like, that would be fun for no one. Yeah. And then it happens, and it was fun for no one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the writers knew. It would be interesting. Uh, um, and then Pam comes up, and Jim finds a great opportunity to pull pranks on Andy by aiming him to hit on Pam. And Pam's a good sport about it without knowing that it's happening for at least the start of it. Right. Um, six flags. Why did I write six flags? <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. I, I, got, I got you here. So uh, <laughs> so there's this Jim Pranks, Andy and Pam, right? And so he, he's – and it, this is a sort of a comprehensive list from what I was able to do. Okay. The, the entire episode – He's um, giving Andy all this awful advice about Pam. So she's really into disc-based competition. Mm-hmm. You know, so Andy loves to froth. Uh, Six Flags ads. <laughs> Pig Latin. Country music. Uh, cigars. Because when he first starts to hit on... Um, on Pam, he, he starks about talks about going and smoking some macanudos, which are cigars, right. uh, banjos, and a sexy high falsetto. Perfect. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> and then you know, Michael, God, he's really trying. Like he really wants these new people to like him. It's because if you think about it, he. These are the first new people in the office in a couple of years. Right. Because the most, you know, the newest, most recent new person was Ryan. 
Right. So, you know, he really wants these new people to like him. He's trying so hard. He's like, you know, I just wanted to clear. I trust Martin. Like, he's really, like, trying really hard to do all this stuff. And so he's like, if you show me a white person you trust, I'll show you a black person I trust <laughs> even more. Right. <laughs> Pam's like, my dad. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, Danny Glover? Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Is like, it's like, um, <clears throat> I know um, Apollo oh, Creed he- comes up. Well, uh, Jim says Jonas Salk. Jonas Salk? Who? Um, yeah. And he's like, uh, and then he, man, who's his backup? Because obviously. Justin Timberlake. Yeah, that's it. Justin Timberlake. And then he says Colin Powell. Right. And then uh, Karen says Jesus, which is presumptuous because technically speaking, Jesus probably wasn't white. Mm-hmm. Well, he definitely wasn't white. But... Yeah. Okay. Just to be clear. Okay. <laughs> she has a, has a, a no, like Jesus wasn't white. Yeah. <laughs> That was when he said Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed. Which, yeah. I mean, come on. God's <laughs> I mean, son, boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's clear cut to me as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, so before this too, uh, Michael does tell Dwight in confidence that Martin is a criminal, and Dwight like tries to sprint off. He's like, "Be cool, be cool!" Like, like yeah, fold yeah. him back up. That was pretty good. Um, and we we learned that uh, Martin got popped for insider trading. Yes. Which, if you don't know what insider trading is, its simple version is is using inside knowledge of a company to make stock movements beforehand. So right. you know there's going to be a big announcement, so you buy up a lot of stock or sell a lot of stock or whatever. So, and to which Kevin says, that sounds like something I do here every day. Yeah. So Ke- Kevin is very obviously working the Dunder Mifflin stock. So like, there's all these times where he seems like an idiot, but then again, like he'll do stuff where you're like, no, he's not stupid. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, part of me was wondering, see, I don't know why, and generally I watch it, and how you just said it is also generally how I take away, but when I watched it recently, something in me clicked, and I wondered if he was doing that without knowing what he would, like, that it was something bad, Yeah. yeah, or shady, like, maybe someone prompted him to do it, so maybe he has some type of outside source that is like hey kevin do you know this thing and kevin just gives it up willy because you know it's just a question and then he finds out that it's this illegal thing from martin you know what i'm saying right. as opposed to him looking out for someone maybe someone's using him and it's like an unfleshed out storyline <laughs> because um you know because again you said it he's got those gambling problems so yeah. like what if it's like the mob what if the mob is like kevin what is your mid-sized paper selling branch doing this week <laughs> i need the deets for wall street now it is one of those things you got to be careful about but in general like we're not going to know and most people listening to this podcast are not going to know somebody who can actually take enough advantage of it to actually matter right like you've got to be doing tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in insider trading for it to really matter yeah it doesn't really matter if you're 
your one share is going to, you know, yeah, you right. have to have like a substantial holding of stock. Right. So in the lunchroom, now that Mark, Martin's been outed, he's a little bit more casual about it. And he's like, well, I can tell everybody the story about it. But Michael walks in and he's like, nope, don't have to do that. Because he doesn't know, right? Right. Uh, but then Martin reveals that generally his time in prison wasn't terrible. There were art classes, business, business class. classes, taught by some Harvard Business School guys. Um, you find out that there's rec time, time outdoors. Right. Um, that his prison cell was something bigger than Michael's office. Um, and throughout the episode, you also find out that they had a large TV bigger than the TV that they have in the office as well. Mm. All shaping up to go up against Michael to make him feel as if he is being attacked because his office is not as equipped as a prison. Well, and, and I think it's Pam that says, wow, you make it sound like it's better than Dun- make it sound like prisons better than Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. And that's when Michael just really starts to get apprehensive. Right. Like he's like, what? No, this is not better. And he tra- so he tries to improve. He does have outdoors time, but it's too cold. Um, he brings Which out. I he- do have to give him credit. They do a really good job of making it look cold. There's ice, there's snow. Yeah. The actors look like they're cold, you know. Yeah, because they're definitely somewhere in LA, right? And they just put a big blue filter over the whole damn thing. And- <laughs> most likely, they're probably like, uh, let's, it's probably like. August, September in LA. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's when Michael brings out the small TV that is clearly hooked up by like rabbit ears as opposed to like proper cable. So right. it's not working so well. Um, and this ultimately leads Michael to one of his greatest moments to me. And again, this is, this is going back to the last episode where once you start going after Dunder Mifflin, yeah. He gets pissy and just keeps going. Yeah. So he introduces a friend of his who has prison experience. So prison let, Mike. Yeah. And he's there to let people know what prison's really like. And don't get him started on the dementors. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's some I just cuz I just started listing yeah different things. So we have you know he goes up to Ryan's like and you be the bell of the ball. And like, Don't drop the soap. Don't drop the soap. He's like, Prison Mike, where did you learn this? Internet? Yeah. And I was there. Yeah. And the dementors. And why'd you go to prison? I stole and I robbed and I kidnapped the president's son and held him for ransom. I never got caught neither. It's like, how'd you end up in prison? And yeah. he just like blows it off. <clears throat> yeah, he doesn't quite follow through with that statement. He's all uh, like, well, up, oh, okay. Yeah, gruel. it's good. And he's like, so what kind of uh, food do you have? It's like, gruel, gruel everywhere, gruel omelets. <laughs> and you can eat your own hair. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's just so funny. I don't know. Like, he gets right in people's faces. I, I recall specifically him running up to Phil. So he's like, I'm here to scare you straight. And then he yells it. <laughs> I'm here to scare Yeah, that was, that was really funny. <clears throat> yeah. And then, like, how he just really goes over the line with Angela. He's like, yeah. don't think I will shove you up against the wall. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, everyone's yeah. willing to, like, oblige Michael to an extent. Right. After that, they're like, 
fuck this. <laughs> We're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, that's too far. <clears throat> um, so Martin reveals that his time in prison was nothing like that. That these experiences remind him of something maybe seen in a movie or a TV show. Mm-hmm. And that also sets Michael off and he leaves the room promptly and then immediately locks the door. Right. He's like, if you want to be in prison, I'll you know lock you up. And he's like, oh, they're being such babies. Yeah. Um, so Toby gets called um, by Pam from the conference room and he has to come out and talk Michael down. And you got to give it to Toby because as much as people tend not to like him, he's pretty good at his job, right? Right. And he does a good job explaining it to Michael. He's like, come on, you know, they're just teasing you, right? They're just, which Michael likes. He likes that they're actually going to like tease, you know, joke with him. He feels like he's a part of something once he realizes that they're just messing with him about. That's right. Yeah. It's like we have social lives. We get to go home. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, one thing I did find funny is so everyone looks kind of pissed off when they're coming out of the room, the conference room. And Stanley's just sitting there playing his like crossword. He doesn't yeah. care. He like, looks completely unfazed. <laughs> um. That's how Stanley do, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's only Charles who sets Stanley straight. He, they, he, they probably could have left him in there for two hours and he wouldn't have cared. Yeah. As long as it didn't interfere with him eating or going home at five. Right. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Yeah, so eventually Martin quits. Yep. And uh, he leaves, and Michael gives a bit of a spiel about his roller coaster relationship with Martin over the course of these past days, where they were friends, and then enemies, and then friends again, and then he was just a convict. And then he was a quitter. <clears throat> and then a quitter. Um, so before we skip to the last shot of the episode, I'm trying to find a thing about it. There's, so there's this whole deleted subplot about... Um, Meredith needing tires for her car. And there was there were some jokes in there and man, I forget. Here we go. Um no, I forget why. But anyway, so at the very end when Martin gets into the elevator, Meredith's coming in with her coat. I That's noticed why. that. I wondered why that was yeah. going that way. Yeah, I can't find a comment about it. Um but that's why there's some weird, crazy subplot that causes Meredith to be out of the office almost the whole day um, because she had no tire for her car or something like that. <clears throat> um, it's really crazy. And they, it's never ref- – yeah, here we go. Oh, I see. Um, okay, this is a quote. Bear with me. Martin offers Meredith a ride to the tire shop so she can pick up her car. In a Talking Head interview, Dwight reads a pretend story of the events of the day, beginning with, there is a convicted probably murderer, and ending with, everybody died, the end. (laughs) Under the guise of friendly conversation, Angela pointedly takes notes on Martin's license plate and car model. (laughs) Martin begins to drive off, but stops and opens the back door to his car. Dwight sheepishly emerges. Okay. (laughs) Because they thought she was going to marry murder Meredith. That's what was happening. Okay. Um, and then Meredith doesn't show up until after Martin quits. So theoretically, as Martin's leaving, Angela and Dwight know that Martin killed Meredith, you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, noting Meredith's empty desk, Dwight tries to trick Martin into making inconsistent statements. 
and it just goes on. So it, it's really funny. I don't know why they didn't include it, but um, if you guys nice listen, thing. get a chance to watch that stuff. Yeah, it's really funny though. <clears throat> All right. Anything else? Oh, so and then the last bit, uh, we are ending the episode on Andy and Pam on that weird reception couch that's there. And Andy is picking along on his banjo, singing the Rainbow Connection in a sexy hall falsetto voice. <laughs> and Jim's still there. Right. Giggling away. So what are you going to give this episode? I'm going to have to give it probably closer to a 3.1 out of 5 convicted rapists. <laughs> That's fucked <clears throat> yeah, uh, like I said, I, I gave these episodes really high marks. So this is a uh, four point one out of five uh, gruel omelets. That's huge. That's a big one. That is a big one. And closing up our um, podcast today is Benny Hanna Christmas, written by Jennifer Saletto. Saletta. Salada. 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 And directed by none other than Harold Ramis of Ghostbusters fame. And if I recall, he directed a couple. Let's see. He did. Benny on a Christmas was his first one. He did Safety Training, which really? is great. Dwight, you ignorant slut. Um, beach Games. And then The Delivery. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he did so many. But this is also a season where we get a lot of um, guest yeah people you know because we get we get joss whedon and jj abrams and a couple other people later uh in the season so we got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff yeah hey, you're right he does a couple okay cool yeah so this episode uh starts with um so it's it's the christmas party day thing uh, and dwight shows up to the office with a dead goose that he ran over with his car um, and he's stoked. He's considering it a Christmas miracle. And he leaves the dead goose on Pam's desk and he wants to remove its head and cut the innards. And, you know, it, it's going to be great for the whole office. Um, the whole staff groups around and it's, you know, it's interesting actually because people do not interact the way you think. Um, Phyllis is on board. Creed thinks it's crazy. Dwight's offering suggestions of giving people um, goose grease. <clears throat> and, um, you know, Toby says, we've had this conversation before, Dwight. Um, we talked about it for like an hour. And, it, yeah, and Dwight's like, come on, Toby, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And, <clears throat> and yeah, Phil's um, like help trying to help him out. I was like, oh, I like goose. Is that so crazy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's just really weird. It, doesn't um creed says it's crazy yeah creed's like yes yes it is crazy <clears throat> but toby ends up giving in and says uh to clean it in your car right which which i don't fully understand what that means like is that where he's gonna gut the goose i guess but dwight's okay with it and he t- uh, you you know he's got like a mobile like <clears throat> carving station <laughs> yeah um pam says i would like it off my desk Dwight says, take a gel pill. <laughs> it's just a dead goose. What's the big deal? And, you know, he'll use the the goose to make expensive goose grease. Saving yeah. you, <laughs> saving you uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, a trip to the store for expensive goose grease. Granted, I mean, I've never seen goose grease at a store, but you never know. You never know. Um, and I didn't know it was expensive either, <laughs> having never seen it in real life. But that's fine. <clears throat> um, so let me say that this is probably one of my favorite Christmas episodes. I was thinking about it, and it might be my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good one. I think the Moroccan Christmas is also pretty solid. It is very good. But um, I think this one's going to take the cake. All right, so Michael arrives. Pam I really Disney wouldn't video. call it expensive, but it's, let's see, it's about seven bucks for... 320 grams so that's not not inexpensive so you're you know i had to okay. look it up <laughs> I, I was like wait what are we talking about because i was looking at my notes about pam's gift and i was like why are we selling bathrobes in grams but i see <laughs> we're still talking about cruise crease i'm back on board okay <laughs> sorry <yeah. clears throat> no that's no, there. okay but yeah so pam hands a large green gift bag to michael Michael thinks it's from her, but it's not. It's a Dunder Mifflin corporate gift, and everybody gets one. And apparently it is a very, very soft, I just said it, bathrobe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I got to say, I've never had a bathrobe. I don't fully understand the merit in having a bathrobe, but the way Toby pines after this bathrobe makes me want one. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Carol shows up. We haven't seen no, her in a while. No, no, okay, I, I want to backtrack a okay. little bit. So... Michael rides in his bike, sort of. Like, he doesn't do a great job, but he brings it in his old bike with worn tires and chip paint. And so I, I kind of wonder if this is a retcon. Because later on in the show, they asked when when Oscar gets his new bike, the same as, Lan, you know, the same as Lance Armstrong's. Right. You know, he can't ride a bike. Oh, yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. And it's a bit of a retcon there. Huh. I don't know. I mean, he's pretty terrible at writing it. He is pretty terrible at writing it, but there is definitely some wear on it. So maybe it was like Jeff Spike, his stepdad. Oh, that could be too. Yeah. Could be that, you know, something. There's no talent. <laughs> um, okay, so Carol shows up. <laughs> we haven't seen her since Diwali, I think. Um, right. And she has some a very serious conversation to talk about with Michael. Um, and she does not take kindly to him photoshopping his face over her ex-husband's body uh, of a picture that took place during a ski trip that he never was at. But it was skis and greetings. Yep. <laughs> uh, man, I wish I wrote down the quote that he says. But he's like... It just shows that I was always with you and with your kids or something really weird like but that. But I was there with you in spirit and with your yeah. kids or something like that. Yeah. And, okay, so, I mean, we ask this question a lot, but how how in the world did this seem like a good idea? Like, even yeah. for Michael, this is right. this is a, a big one. This, this is, this well, is I, really far. I was going to say, that's pretty much what Jim says, right? Like he right. says, that's a really bold move. Is bold the right word? <laughs> yes. Is bold the right word? I think um, 
for the short amount of time they've been in this relationship and then having unsuccessfully proposed to her, you probably shouldn't Photoshop your face onto that picture. Right. I think if they were together longer, maybe it would be funny. Maybe. But you got to figure that, uh, you know, even after the proposal, they were still together for, what, another six, eight weeks? Yeah, at least. That's, That's shocking. Because they made it to, you know, some sometime in December from Halloween, you know, so that is a little bit of time. So I'm surprised, like, she stayed with him with that. Yeah. And then not too long after this, uh, Pam decides to give Jim his Christmas gift, which she reveals that she has been sending letters to Dwight as if she was the CIA. Yeah, it's a pretty great gift, and it's a pretty great plan. Um, and Jim, Jim pulls a season three Jim here, where he says. Uh, he appreciates it, but he can't do that kind of stuff anymore because he just got the promotion and he wants to be serious. And then in his talking head, he says he doesn't want to fall into the same things that he always does, but immediately he does it anyways. And Jim, just date Pam already and be a good guy again. Well, and, and, you know, that talking head, I actually have a note about this, a starred note even, that that talking head is not about Dwight and pranking. It's about Pam. Like right. He, well, that's true. Right. He's like... It's a, not a metaphor, but it's like a parallel, right? Right. He's, he's saying pranking, but he's talking about her. That's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so we, we see this, and we have this great scene where, where Michael is laying in the, on the floor in reception, and he's talking to Pam. Yeah. And he he's like, have you ever, like, and this is also where we find out that Carol is a freaky girl. You know, what are the chances that Michael ends up with two ladies who are into, like, stuff? You know what I'm saying? Stuff. Uh Um, I'm wondering if it's just Michael's general inexperience and um, not fully understanding maybe adult intercourse. Because I'm trying to think. I mean, there are some things that Jan mentions that are really weird, right? There's like the weird cross-dressing costume, and then there's the Filming. videotaping it. Yeah, so that's that's messed up. But I'm wondering if Carol really was as weird as he says in this scene. I don't know. It seems to be that way, and it seems to be that kind of attraction for Michael. Like he, <laughs> there's a reason we end up dating the same kind of people over and over again because on some level we're attracted to that you know right and so i think that's just how it is for michael like or or he's such a pushover that the girls are like hey i've always wanted to try this and he won't tell me no so sure that's rough (laughs) (laughs) yeah but so michael either has the best or the worst luck with women depending on what you're into (laughs) that's what i'll say about that and then, you know, Dwight comes up and uh, he's like, we're, we're one bathrobe short. Take it from Toby. Yeah, doesn't really even hesitate either. And I feel so bad for Toby because, like, Dwight just, like, walks up to him and stops. 
He's like, hey, Dwight. Just grabs it and walks away. And Toby just looks like this is like the start of broken Toby. Like to me, this is like the, the slow decline to just like full on broken Tobes. <laughs> broken Tobes. I should get a tattoo of that. <laughs> um, well, and we didn't mention it either, I don't think, but Michael does have Santos Jamaica tickets. Right. So that's kind of looming over this whole episode. Yeah, it's sort of a, a sort of a B C plot where he's always trying to like get someone to go to Jamaica with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um so and then we 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 uh, we get to the the party planning committee and Karen's trying to like bring up all these things for for them to do, you know, like karaoke and margaritas and you know, raffles and all this other stuff. And Angel just starts shutting her down. I was like, this is clearly not for you. Right. You need to, you need to leave now, leave now. Yeah. And she's like, are you sh- for real? Yeah. It's tough. And no one can say anything. Right. Cause Angela's right. kind of got this hold on the whole thing. Um, so she awkwardly leaves the room. Pam does later go up in her talking head. She explains that she feels that she's been unnecessarily cold to Karen. And that maybe she shouldn't be cold anymore. Right. Um, so in her olive branch of, you know, apologizing and saying those are really great ideas. And I guess it's that conversation that ends up with them having created the committee to det- – nope, that's wrong. That's the other thing I wrote down. Um, <laughs> the committee to plan parties, right? The committee to plan parties, yeah. yes. Um because it's weird, too, because once they go, they're way more aggressive than they are in that conversation. You know, Pam just starts off by saying, hey, those are really nice ideas. And then in, like, five minutes, they have a brightly colored flyer. <laughs> that, And their party is scheduled for 15 minutes sooner, you know? Um, well, granted, Pam does not like Angela, right? I mean, right. In, from what little interaction... Karen doesn't like Angela either. So it's like they have this common enemy that they can just like show them up and do terrible things, you know, just like get be ready to go and take her on kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, does Angela know that Pam knows that Dwight and Angela are dating yet? I don't think so. Because during the traveling salesman episode, Angela, because that's the episode where Dwight's late, I believe. Yes. Um, so after the success of his mission or whatever, Angela and Pam go out for coffee, and she's kind of happy, and she's very thinly, you know, masking. You know, she calls right. Dwight Kurt, which is his middle name. Um, yeah. So I guess I wonder if Angela always kind of knew, but like didn't like fully admit. I don't know. I don't know why I just brought it up. Yeah, I'm trying to think because at some point. Pam says to Angela, you know I know. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember when that is. Is it conflict resolution? Because she thinks Angela's the one who ratted her out about the uh, wedding? No, I don't think so. Uh, maybe our listeners can <laughs> help us out here. Yeah. I'm totally blanking. <clears throat> uh, well, that's okay. We'll keep charging forward then. Um, so there's that committee. So they create that committee. Um, Angela gets wind and has Dwight try to shut them down. But Jim, being the proper number two, 
uh, creates the committee to determine the validity of the two committees. Committees. He is the only member, yes. and he was acting right then and there. <laughs> <clears throat> Which is a, it's a great scene because like Dwight respects the authority and yeah. the the structure. It's like, may may I join the committee? Application denied. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, ah, and like he's just like so final about it. He's like, okay, you and win. even Angela too. She's playing, yeah, playing ball. You know, she's like, oh, this is a real thing. Okay, that's fine. A, a scene we would be remiss not to talk about is when uh, Michael is playing "Goodbye, My Lover." Yeah, the sample over and over and over and over again because he just wants to taste it. Just wants to taste it, which this kind of foreshadows the need more Mullins from uh, Murder. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, that's true. It's like, you know, people say uh, when you really love somebody, you know within the first 24 hours. Well, I knew within the first 24 minutes of the second time we met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um. So during this time, too, mm. we're very close. Yeah, so Pam and Cantor start planning their party, and they're going to do it in the break room. Right. And um, Jim looks freaked out. Like he watches them. He's like, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. Like, because this kind of gets brought up um, different times where like exes from different characters will meet and it's like, you know, what, what are they going to say? Right. As Andy put it, my, my ex meets my sex. Which, yeah. That's a crude way to say it, but you know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess generally speaking, you'd figure that an ex wouldn't have good things to say about you, because if you probably didn't break up on the best of terms, you know. Um, so to have this person come into you, contact with your current significant other, you'd be afraid that they're going to dish dirt, you know. Right, and I, and I think it's more proven out, but uh, Jim hasn't told Karen about Pam. Correct. If I'm right, yeah. No, that's right, yeah. It's not so, revealed until that Traveling Salesman episode. Right, and so, you know, there's, there's probably that kind of fear of, oh my God, I haven't told her yet. Right. Kind of kind of sitting in there for him because he's being a douchebag and not telling Right. Not telling Karen. <laughs> um, so while all that planning's happening, Andy walks into Michael's office and says, I don't like you being so down. I'm going to take you to, I'm going to take you out to lunch um, and that he's buying. And Michael doesn't take him up on his offer until Andy says he's buying. Right. Which is like another hint at Michael's like financial instability. Um, he says, are we going to Hooters? And then Andy says, better, way classier. Chicks are still hot. So Benny Hanna becomes dubbed Asian Hooters. Asian Hooters. Um. So he calls the entourage, which would be Ryan and Jim and Dwight. They're all going. But uh, Ryan, crafty little guy. I got to say, season three, Ryan's probably my favorite Ryan. Right. And, you know, the scene where he's, like, just listing everything off. Yeah. And he's just joshing with uh, Jim, mm -hmm. just kind of messing with him, is actually pretty cool. Because it doesn't seem condescending. It looks like he's actually pretty playful. He's like, yeah. look alive, Halpert. Welcome back. You right. know, it just actually seems like a classy thing for him to do and then he just kind of goes downhill yeah because season three Ryan's like the best person 
that Ryan ever is. And then he does the season four executive thing, and then he goes to Thailand, and then he's this weird hipster dude during the Saber times. Like, I mean, obviously he had drug addiction, so <laughs> that could affect his personality moving forward. But um, it's sad to see. Season mm-hmm. three, Ryan had had some potential. Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot going on in a really short period of time in this episode because you sort of you have this talking head with Michael talking about how you're you you're so good to your hoe, but then she's not your hoe, no mo. No mo. <laughs> it's a it's, great it's, scene, and he just yeah. plays it perfectly. But <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, it's him and, crying is so good, and there is some foreshadowing. It's a it's a sort of a throwaway line, and it may have just worked out. But so when they're walking into Benihana, Andy is talking about how he told the girl at we assume Starbucks that she was looking extra pretty today, and she said to him, "Who are you?" He's like, "I've been buying lattes for." from her for a year can you believe that then michael goes on to talk about how you know carol used to get latte mustaches Mustaches, but this sort of foreshadows andy hitting on girls who work at like food places because we have the yogurt girl yeah uh in next season i think or wherever wherever the the watermark episode is yeah which I can never remember where that is for some reason, but so that's it sets. I think I think it does a good job of setting up sort of Andy's personality and like the people, like how he hits on women, right? You know, it's uh, season three, episode twenty-one. Oh, it is this season. Okay, yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's very bold of him, but. Um, I have had friends in service industries who have told me that hitting on a woman at work is not the place to do it. <laughs> um, but Andy gets those dates, so good on him. It must yeah, be his snazzy Eddie Bauer outfit, yeah. <laughs> so they go to Asian Hooters, Benny mm-hmm. Hanna, and um, Dwight gets separated from the group. He gets split up because a couple is sitting right tab in the middle of the uh, table. You know, I don't know why they wouldn't have moved for him. I agree. You know, it's just he's like obviously they're together. It just seems like a douche move on their part, right? To not do it because it's just one seat. He could have just switched sides with her, mm-hmm. or like he could have moved on the other side of her. They were still going to be next to each other. They're still going right. to be on the same they, side. They the could have just slid one seat down. Yeah. You know, not a big deal. So that couple is the douchebag couple. Yes. Um, but there's some humorous bits where Dwight can't hear what's happening, so Jim is able to relay false information. Um, there is a deleted scene where um, I think Dwight's talking to the camera about, you know, whatever. This is all difficult, and you can't hear what they're saying, whatever. And the cook throws shrimp into his mouth, and it gets in there. But the joke was supposed to be it hits his face. <laughs> so I don't think it's a deleted scene. I think it's a blooper, but that's what it is, yeah. Um, because he was too good at catching food in his mouth. They cut it. Uh, and then we uh, we get introduced to the Nagasaki. Yeah, which one, sounds really offensive to me. One part eggnog and three parts sake. sake. Yeah. No wonder they were drunk. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were obliterated. Are you you fan of sake? Uh, no. no. No? I'm not a big drinker, and rice wine is definitely on the list of things not to... Uh, <laughs> I'm a Mike's Hard kind of guy, you know? <laughs> I like uh, I like it warm. I don't like the cold, the cold one, but yeah, they, when they warm it up, it's pretty tasty. And we also learn... That if you're using three pieces, more than three pieces of tape to wrap a present, you're do you're you're doing it too bad. You're like doing it poorly, and that's my response to that is that's why everyone I give gifts to gets gets gift bags because I cannot wrap presents for shit. Yeah, I uh, I work at a company that makes gift bags and gift wrap, and I do the video work there, and even in my how-to videos. You use more than three pieces of tape. That's crazy, Pam. <laughs> uh, you know, there's you just need more tape than that. So get off your high horse. <laughs> Let Roy use the fucking funny papers. Hey, come on. You shouldn't use the funny papers. Spin the buck and a half on the wrapping paper. <laughs> well, his mom would love the funny papers. She's a big fan of Family Circus. Um, so th- and then, uh, they start to hit on the waitresses at Benihana. I almost called it Hooters. Um, so they're hitting on these waitresses at Benihana or the one waitress rather. Um, and they have her close her eyes. And this is a really great bit too, where she's describing her dream home. Um, and Jim is relaying that she is incorrectly coming up with how to, um, butcher a goose. Yes. So Jim shouts it, and he gets really graphic with it, discussing innards and buckets of blood and feathers and all that jazz. Um, very much upsetting the couple in between him and Jim. Yes. And um, so there's a joke <clears throat> in the director's commentary. They talk about it, but there's a joke in this episode that apparently doesn't play well, and I get it. Is that obviously they're hitting on this Cindy girl mm-hmm. and her friend. When we see them in the office, it's two totally different Asian women. Yep. The joke was supposed to be that they failed and had to hit on uglier waitresses. Now, these two girls may be not as pretty as those two girls, but hardly ugly. Right. And I thought maybe originally it was supposed to play into Michael's inability to identify Asian women from each other. Um, but that's what they said in director's commentary, and I thought that was kind of weird. And they said they felt the joke didn't play because then they ended up hiring two other pretty girls to play different characters, and they thought maybe it was just confusing to the audience or whatever. Well, it was confusing to the audience. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> was like, wait, are those the same ladies? Well, and what's bad is it was a while before I actually realized they were two, two, two different sets of women. Right. That's very great. Which I feel bad about. I mean, the hair is very different. Maybe it's just I wasn't paying close enough attention or something. I don't yeah. Know. But I will say, every time I watch this episode, I get hungry because I absolutely love hibachi Japanese oh. food. Yeah, I'm with you. Like some hibachi chicken with a sushi roll. Oh, it's good to go. Wanna... Yeah. I wish that was, I mean, I guess not to get on a food tangent here, but I guess sarku kind of does hibachi but like i just want like a quick to go hibachi place i don't want to sit down every time for the whole experience like i just want hibachi quality food in my mouth right if you get to go that's the way this way to do it. that's the way to do it mm-hmm. or yeah. like sit at the bar or something yeah yeah because it's fun everybody likes the 
little squirt toy that pees water on the flaming onions, you know. But um, just get that chicken in my face, please. Yes. Yeah, that's how I, I do that a lot. Like if I'm uh, for whatever reason, if I'm not around the office, like closer to my house, and I have time for lunch. There's a there's a hibachi place and it's like hibachi chicken with rice and soup for ten bucks. Um, oh, that's great! So I just sit at the bar and I cook it up. It was pretty quick too. So now I have a project to do after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so they show up and they're introducing everybody to their new girlfriends, which are these two girls who we've never met before. Right? Do we even um, know their names? No. Angela refers to them as a waitress. <laughs> Um, let's see. Are they? Because they must be guest cast. Okay, there's an Amy and a Nikki. Okay. So that must be them. So there, there's this great talking head. So first, they so they they both start their parties, and Angela calls the wife for permission for whatever reason. But there's a great talking head with Kevin. He's like, eh, but Angela's party will have double fudge brownies. Double fudge, Angela. Double fudge, Angela. Double fudge, Angela. <laughs> that to me is just hilarious. And he's got some really good sounds too, Kevin. He goes, mm, you know. And then, then Mike, I wrote this down on my notes. Like drunk Mike equals best Mike. So like he's like family style. Like reaches over and like grabs yeah. like. Steak off this other couple's plates. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you. You feel embarrassed for Jim, right? <laughs> because he's just reaching over and just. And, and there's this great, there's this great um, talking head with Jim while they're still at Benihana. He's like, it's like, how's this different? He's like, this is totally different than pranking Dwight. This is. It's pretty much to say, like, at that point, Jim, like, realizes he can't not prank Dwight. Like, it's right. just in his DNA. It's who he is. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, so they're back. The ladies are there. They first go to Angela's party because that's the only one they know exists at the time. Right. So they walk into the conference room, and it's very low-key. I think, um, like, Little Nutcrackers playing in the background or some jazz yeah. like that. Um, Michael's waitress grabs a is that Rice Krispie treat? No, it's a nutcracker. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, grabs that. They say that the party's lame, and Phyllis reveals that there is a secret party in the break room. So on their way out, Angela costs them, saying, "I don't run to your house and steal your Hello Kitty backpack." Not racist at all. Totally fine. <laughs> Not racist at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and so before we get into this room, though, we do find out that um, the karaoke machine cable is broken. No, it's missing. Missing, missing. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, Daryl comes up with his synthesizer, which I think is just a keyboard, not a synthesizer, but it's fine, Daryl. But this, yeah, well, this is, uh, I mean, we've seen Daryl before, but this is, I, if I remember my, uh, how the episodes keep progressing, this is when he starts becoming a bigger part of the show, like a more normal character in the cast. Yeah, it's true. And it's it's a great addition, I think. Yeah. Because he, he plays well into everybody's kind of thing. You know, this is the first sign of him being musically gifted and 
all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's true too. And that's, it is kind of important because it comes up a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kevin singing Alanis Morissette. And everyone gets really into it. You know, they're all yeah. singing along with him. And he just he just goes a little too far with the with the ending of the song. <laughs> or not far enough. Or not far um, enough. <laughs> well, I think Marguerite's in the middle of the day will do that to you. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so it's Dwight... funny though. It's like someone offers Meredith a margarita. She's like, no, it was too sweet. She just got the jug of vodka yeah. in yeah. a glass. Like. Because she knows what she's about, man. <laughs> she knows what she's doing, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dwight shows up a little late, but uh, he's hanging out with Angela in her room, and they're sad because he had a bad lunch, and she's been having a bad day, and they're hand-holding. But then, um, it was a good Pam scene, and, you know, because like, Dwight, Dwight was being the good boyfriend, you know, was being there with his woman, and I thought that was really nice. Yeah, because it hasn't been totally clear that... Um, like that they love each other, you know, mm-hmm. like we know they bang. Right. But that's about it. So, um, yeah, it was a good bit to like have them like care about one each other's feelings and stuff like that. Um, but it gets interrupted by Pam and Karen revealing that Dwight won the raffle and he so, wants some walkie talkies. Super excited about it. Um, Dwight seems like a guy who would already have walkie talkies and I'm sure with the office budget, those are pretty crappy walkie talkies, but Hey, Wins away, whatever. Man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so they decide to uh, combine the parties, right? Right. And this is Pam being just too nice again. Like she sees how miserable she is, and <coughs> you know, it just seems. I don't know. She's just too nice. She's too nice to people. And like almost immediately, they might regret it because Angela reveals that she stole the cord and was hiding it in a very plain sighted potted plant in the middle of the office. Right. Not a desk or anything. Um, so the party gets moved into the main room and then now we start to discover that Michael can't identify which waitress is the waitress he came in with. Which is a great he says, there, he says there are two types of people and then he turns around, uh, confuses his waitresses and comes back and he says, people who own condoms Condoms. Oh, boy. Condos. <laughs> Michael would say that, but that's a different conversation. Okay. People who own condos or people who don't, which is also another false statement because there right. are lots of other types of people. Um, and that lady has no idea what he's talking about, right? She's like, what are you saying? And Michael's like drunk and he's like trying to poke her face and stuff. Um, so there's some good bits in the karaoke. Yeah. One is... Uh, Kelly's singing the song. It's like, you know, you and me together forever, Ryan. And Ryan just sitting there chugging his margarita. Yeah. Okay, so there, there's a scene. Well, the scene where Michael marks the girl's arm, right? right. Like he's trying to... Something I never noticed about the scene until today is when he walks in there, it's the two girls and Ryan's flirting with them. Okay. Like he's yep. hitting on the two girls and then Michael comes in. Right. So it was like, it was like, oh, I wonder where Kelly went. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty great. And another, um, another fun tidbit is the song that Creed sings for karaoke is actually a song by him in the grassroots. I see. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a bad singer. No. I mean, he was a professional. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so that that's some good stuff. And then eventually, Michael and Andy sing Your Body's a Wonderland. And then we get another hint of Michael's total inability to identify the two ladies. Mm. He he knows for a fact he's singing at his girl until the his girl rolls up in a bike. Right. And he's all like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then in a very quick conversation with Roy and Kevin, um, they ask, which one is yours? And he's like, it's one of those two. <laughs> They're just laughing at him. It's a great, yeah. great looking scene. Because he also says that line too. He's like, you know how they say all waitresses look alike? <laughs> uh, which is totally not a thing, but fine. Um, so there, there's an important scene that's small, but you see – Jim and Karen exchange Bridget Jones's diary for Christmas. Yep. Which apparently is a terrible movie. I've never seen it, so I don't know. Right. But it pans over to Pam, and she's got a, the phone up to her ear, and, like, she clicks. You see her hang the phone up and start to dial a new number. And I wonder if this is when her and Roy start to get back together because she's lonely and it's Christmas and she knows she's not going to be with Jim. So it's like, is this when she makes the call and like gets back with Roy or starts to get back with Roy? Yeah, I think they might be having friendlier conversations at this point, but I think we accurately see the first time they're properly together, which is Phyllis's wedding. Um, yeah, I think up until now, it's just kind of, friendlier conversations than it was say when we get back in the beginning of season three and Pam's kind of cold to him you know right but I wonder if like she calls him up like hey let's go do something you know that kind of yeah see you think so poorly of Pam you like Jenna Fisher's sparkly eyes and stuff but you're always thinking Pam's trolling for penis (laughs) no I don't think she's trolling for penis here I just think she's like she she's lonely and she she knows that she can go hang out with Roy. You know, it's. I don't think she's like... Hashtag penis. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I think she's just like, hey, let's go hang out. Let's go get a beer. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, maybe... I feel like maybe not, though. I don't know. I feel like Pam does a pretty good job sticking with her guns um, for most of the season. Obviously, she ends up with Roy again, but I think... Like, a wedding is a really particular place, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just too much. And that's her. That's where she hits the wall, and she's kind of like, all right. All right, Roy, let's bang. Real, real quick. Right, but, you know, those, I mean, relationships tend to build. Even if it's somebody you used to date, you know, it. you build back into it. You start hanging out more, you know, and you just kind of build your way back up to being in a relationship again. So I'm wondering if this is like, the first sort of push towards that relationship. Right, right. Yep, that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know why you give each other Bridget Jones's diary, even as a joke, but whatever. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, so the waitresses decide to try to split. Uh, one of them says, this party blows. Right. So in a last-ditch effort, Michael says, hey, I have tickets to Santos, Jamaica. <laughs> And she says, no, I have school, which is like, how old is this girl? Hey, she Prob- might be in college. Probably. I mean, what? Uh, well, I don't know what it is state by state, but I know here in Jersey, working age is like 16. 
you have to be at least 16 to work. Like your school has to sign a bunch of paperwork or whatever. Right. I mean, I would assume this girl's at least 18 because uh, generally those people have to handle alcohol and a lot of things yeah, you have to be fair. 18 to handle alcohol. All right. But granted, we never so actually really see him do it, do it right. but right. I assume they were like 20-ish. Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> uh, but she leaves. She takes the bike. Yeah. Um, there, there's a really good scene where Jim and Michael are on the couch, and Michael's explaining to him like how he marked her arm. Yeah. And Jim just has this amazed look, and he's just so happy to be hearing the story. Like I give uh, Krasinski some credit because like he's like, yeah, he portrays it so well here. It's pretty genuine, I think. Yeah. Um, and Jim tries to make a joke and Michael points it out it's all kind of weird but Jim consoles him by saying that he rebounded and it's great sentiment it's very great advice Michael does not understand it at all (laughs) but he does feel better Uh, and then he has a quick talking head trying to talk about his lack of understanding about what rebounding is I'm not really sure who's shooting (laughs) right Um, but as the oh so there's a really quick shot too of oscar and gill showing up um but it's while angela is singing the little drummer boy yeah and he's uh he said it's too soon he just does a quick 180 and leaves which is a callback to the very first episode because it's what uh dwight is sort of singing humming when we first meet him yeah but and i don't think we figured it out but i don't think they're dating no i don't i don't think they are um let's see what else to hit here um well then so there's jim's gift right right and he's like oh yeah so we should we should get him a bus fare yeah it's 75 dollars <laughs> oh they'll send a helicopter yeah which is great um and that's a really amazing shot too like clearly they're on another building adjacent or they're on a cherry picker or something and Dwight's pacing back and forth on the roof with his bright orange cap. Uh, and he gets a text that says, you have been compromised. Abort mission, destroy phone. And without breaking a beat, Dwight closes his phone, chucks it off the building, and walks in the opposite direction. Um, this yeah. comes up later. It's like, this is a recurring joke for them. Because he says something about how they, they I don't know, it's later in the, the, the series where he's like, you've, you know, convinced me I've been uh, recruited by the CIA three times. Jim's like four times, four yeah. times. <laughs> so apparently this is something that happens on a semi-regular basis. You think he would figure it out? Yeah. I mean, if you want to be part of the CIA, I think you're, you'll believe easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For realsies. So that's that episode. I mean, it, it, again, like you said, it's it's a longer episode. It was yeah. probably uh, aired as an hour-long episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says the 38th and 39th episode overall. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's jam-packed. It's some good bits. It's my favorite Christmas one. You said it's probably up there for you, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a 4.2 out of 5 Nagasaki's. All right, well, this this is this has got to be my favorite one. Even just watching it today again, I was like, "Yeah, this is a good one." So I'm I'm, I'm pulling a pulling out a big one here. 
We got a 4.9 out of 5. Subas are better for this quantity of food. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> These are like slowly becoming not nouns anymore. Now we're just saying full quotes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, things evolve, right? That's true. So next time we will be hitting up Back from Vacation, which is a great episode. Traveling Salesman, The Return, and Ben Franklin. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Check us out at brokenjars.xyz. We're on Twitter, Instagram. I don't think we're on Facebook. I don't know. If we are on Facebook, I'm not doing it. So. <laughs> Just type in our name and you'll find us. <laughs> we're on iTunes, Google Play. You can subscribe directly from the website. Uh, yeah, so let us know what you think. Uh, hopefully we hear from you soon. We're on Reddit. Check yeah, out the Reddit. Uh, the Dunder Mifflin Reddit, if you're not a part of that and you're an Office fan, you should be because there's a lot of really great stuff going on. Like people – like if you think we're in-depth, you should see some of these people. They're, they are intense. Yeah. I, love them, I love them for it, but, man, they're intense. Yeah. So I hope you all have a good day, good night, whenever you listen to podcasts. I hope it's uh, good for you. Well, happy Halloween because we're not going to be back before Halloween. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Um, I was going to make a joke, but I can't remember it. <laughs> Monster.com, guys, not monsters. <laughs> Monster. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Right. Bye-bye.